So if you've got it, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14 is what we're going to be reading. If you got it, would you stand to your feet with me this morning? This is what it says. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, by the way. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breathe, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Then the breath entered them and they came to life and stood to their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I will settle in your own land. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that your spirit would be with us today and upon your word and through this message. God, help me to deliver it the way I feel it today. God, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts and all of our minds. And God, let this be something that changes our life forever. Let us never be the same today. Grow us, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. I don't have a, uh, a traditional, formal sermon for you today. But what I do have is what I believe is a word from God. This week as I was praying and seeking God about uh, what he would have me to preach, it was one that didn't come to me till very, very late in the week. I labored in prayer. Mackenzie can attest to that herself. I, I prayed and I, I studied and I was searching the word and nothing. And then the other night, just a couple nights ago, God began to speak to my heart. He says, Brandon, this is a word not just for your church, but the church. This is, this is a scripture that is so uh, familiar 
uh, for most people, if you've been in church any amount of times, you, you hear, you've heard this story before, uh, the, the valley of the dry bones. And, and we find ourselves in Ezekiel 7, is Ezekiel is prophesying, and this prophecy is related to an Israelite people, uh, God's people, who have been in Babylonian captivity and exile, and they found themselves to be lost and hopeless. They, they find themselves to be dried up and dead on the inside. And what God is saying here is, as he brings Ezekiel to this valley, is he's saying, there is a hope. You, you will not die in the valley. You will not stay dead in the valley. You see, I think so many times we, 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 we can look at this and we can relate to it because they died in the valley and so many times we find ourselves in the valley and the way they died in the valley is they gave up. They lost their hope. But I want to encourage you today to never lose your hope. I know sometimes things look grim and bleak and we look at the world around us and it seems like things are just a mess and things are falling apart. But I want to encourage you today that God's church will not die in this valley. I, I know that the valley is, is a long, hard journey. I know that we get ourselves stuck sometimes and we, and we are waiting for God to bring us up on the mountain, but while we're in the valley, we begin to lose hope that we will ever get out. And so... With this, as, as, as he is prophesying over these bones, God asks Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? It's funny that, that we see God asking a question. Because we, we've seen this before, and I've talked about this before, that God oftentimes will leave us with more questions than answers. There are times where we will find ourselves in the valley and, and we'll start to have that question run through our mind. Will I ever live again? Will I ever feel life in myself again? Will I ever come out of this? Ezekiel's answer is one that, that you know, you, you would think, oh, of course, God, if you will it, they can live again. Of course they can. Anything's possible with you. But Ezekiel's answer is, Lord, only you know. In other words, I don't have a clue but I know you know. So he, he's basically saying, you tell me. Ezekiel's saying, I, don't, I, I can't answer that. Only you have the answer to that. So you tell me if they can live. And God says to him, he says, prophesy over these bones. You see, I've learned in my life that sometimes you have to prophesy over yourself. You don't always have somebody else to come speak a word over you or to you. Sometimes you got to be your own prayer warrior. Sometimes you got to lay hands on yourself, and when you fall out, catch yourself. And and you you can't you, you can't always rely on some outside source. And sometimes you are your own prophet, and you will prophesy something. But it comes down to: Are you going to prophesy life unto the dry bones, or are you prophesying continued death over them? See, the Bible says there is the power of life and death in our tongue. Our words carry so much weight, and we don't even realize it. But we are so careless in what we speak. It's, it's easy for us to look at situations and say, oh, this is hopeless, this is lost, I'm never going to get out of it. Or we can flip it and be like Ezekiel and prophesy life over it. We don't have to remain dead. We don't have to remain a pile of dry bones. 
but our words have power. What are we prophesying over today? And what are we saying in our prophecy? God tells Ezekiel, he says, prophesy these things over these dry bones. This is what the Lord God says to say to these bones. In verse 5, he says, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. In other words, you are not going to stay dead. You will live again. It says, I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. And then he says again, I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He says, I will put tendons on you. If you know a little bit of anything about anatomy, you know that tendons are what allow things to move in your body. If you tear a tendon, it makes it extremely difficult to move your limbs. Tendons give mobility. And, and this is what God spoke to me about the church. He says, I'm getting ready to put mobility back into you. I'm going to give you not just mobility, but ability. It, see, for too long, we, we, we sit still and we don't move. We don't do what we're supposed to do. We, we sit back and, and we relax and we recline and we miss out on the mission God has for us. But what God is saying to us today is that I am going to give you mobility. I'm going to put movement in you so that you do not just sit back and relax and wait for him to come back, but you actually do something with your faith and with your life. For too long, his church has sat back and just watched the world burn instead of taking action in it. If you read in Matthew chapter 16, I don't have it on the screen for you, but Jesus is declaring on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you, under, when you study the word church, it is the word ecclesia. And if you understand what ecclesia is, it is a governing government representation in an area. So in other words, the church isn't just a place for people to gather, sing songs, hear, hear in a, an encouraging word, pray a little bit, and go home. The church is a representation. It is, is, it is a diplomatic piece of the kingdom of God. And when we come into this world as the church, we are doing business on behalf of God's kingdom. God did not call us just to have a social club not just to have a book club. I've heard people in the world say church is the world's largest book club. We are called to do business on behalf of God's kingdom. You see, when God says I'm giving you mobility, he's giving us not just the capability to move, he's giving us the anointing to move. We can't move without God. We can't accomplish anything without God. We, we spend so much time sitting back and waiting for God to do something, and he's telling us to move. He's saying, you do something. He, he didn't prophesy for Ezekiel. He said, Ezekiel, you prophesy over these bones. You tell them that they will live. We have a responsibility in this earth to look at the dead situations around us, to look at a dead community, to look at a dead country. And, and I'm not talking about, I don't care about debt. I don't care about the national, uh, the, the, the governments, the national debt, the, the whatever you want to throw out there in that realm. I care about the spiritual, spirituality of this country. 
And if you look at it, it seems quite dead. But there is a remnant of people that God is calling to mobilize and to do his work in the earth. And that's what God is speaking to us today. The first thing he's saying is, I'm going to put tendons on you. I'm going to give you the ability for mobility. He says, I'm going to make flesh grow on you. In some translation, it talks about it as muscle. If you study it, that's what he's talking about, flesh, muscle. He's giving his church strength. We can't do this as weak, as a weak body. You see, I think the church in some ways has ignored the power it's supposed to have. It has neglected its strength. It's neglected its authority. And so, as a result, God's people have been run over and walked on for far too long. By this world and by the devil. We've allowed ourselves to become weak and anemic. We've allowed ourselves to stop working out, and as a result, we have lost our strength. Our, mu- our spiritual muscle has deteriorated because we've grown complacent. And God says, I want to restore that. I want to bring strength back to my church and to my people. You see, we're not called to be a weak, anemic people who serve a a fluffy God on a fluffy cloud sitting far away in the universe. We serve a strong, mighty God who roars like a lion. We don't don't serve a God who's cupcakes and rainbows. We serve a God who is truth and righteousness and justice and power and strength. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and he'll be the last. But yet, for some reason, we think, I don't know where it's come from, but we, we somehow have trained ourselves to believe that that God of the Bible doesn't truly exist for us. And what I mean by that is somewhere along the line, we've, we've changed the narrative from what Scripture has been teaching us about God. And, and somewhere along the lines, there, there's been this teaching, and He is a God of grace, and He is a God of mercy, He is a God of love, He is a God of compassion, He is all those things. But we have taken that and left out the rest. And, and see, I, I want you to understand that we've taken compassion and, and love for people, and we have made it a love that is not biblical love, and as a result, it's become a, a weakness to us. Because when love becomes acceptance of all things, love, you accept people. You love all people. But what, what has happened in this world and in many churches is that we've come to accept all things. And, and there are churches who have changed doctrine. There are churches who have abandoned Scripture and said, oh, yes, you can live any life you want. You can do all these things. And we have lost the power that comes with holiness. You see, you can't have power without holiness. You can't have strength without the truth of God's Word. You can't have any of that unless you walk righteously before God. Our strength is connected 
to his truth and his word. He says, I will cover you with skin. God says, I'm going to put a covering back over my church. Skin is the largest organ in the human body. Its purpose is a protective barrier to what's on the inside. And if God's going to do something on the inside, he's got to send something to protect us from things on the outside. And God's saying, I'm getting ready to put a covering over my people, over my church. And so that way when you are mobilizing and you are walking in strength, know that you are protected. Because it's easy. You, you can be strong. You can, you can move and do things and, and be out there. But when you're out there, you need to understand that attacks will come. And without a covering, you have nothing. See, the covering will protect from division. It'll protect from a spiritual warfare. It'll, it'll protect from so many things. If we don't have the covering, we are nothing more than vulnerable. You can have all the muscle, but without the skin, you're fully exposed. And God says, I'm going to put a covering over my church so that when they walk forward as a vast army, they will be protected. Then he says, I will put breath in you so that you come to life. And I like the statement that comes right after. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord. All of these things work together, but none of it means anything without the breath in the body. None of it means anything without God's breath. He, he actually talks about prophesying to the breath multiple times. And, and when God talks about something multiple times, it's important to pay attention to it. You see, he's saying a church without the breath of God, or as he references in a later verse, the Spirit of God is a lifeless body. It is a lifeless church. And without the life that comes through his Spirit we will lose the ability to, of people to say that is the Lord working. It is the Spirit that testifies of God. It is the Spirit that gives testimony of Jesus to the lost. If we do not have the Spirit of God active and alive in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter how strong we think we are. It doesn't matter what kind of covering we think we have. It doesn't matter what, what kind of mobility, what kind of stuff we're doing. It, it doesn't matter how much candy we pass out. It doesn't matter how many people we talk to. If the Spirit of God is not in His body, it means nothing. So Ezekiel begins to prophesy over these bones. And the Bible says that there was a noise. A rattling sound. This reminds me of what the Bible says in Haggai chapter 2. Haggai's been a, a book that I've, it's only two chapters. I've been reading it over and over again because I believe God's sending a glory to his people. And he, it says in Haggai chapter 2, the Lord is going to shake the earth. 
He's going to stir people up. In other words, there'll be a rattling. And he, and, and he, and he, tells, people, he tells the people in Haggai, he says, consider the, the former glory that you used to see in the old temple. He says, I'm telling you, all the good things you've seen, all the, all the powerful things you've seen, and all of its glory, it is nothing compared to the glory I'm getting ready to send. He says, the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. I wonder if there's some people who it's been a while that, since they've been rattled by God, since they've been shaken by God, since they've been moved by God to a point where they can say that the glory is filling their life. Without the glory, without his presence, we have nothing. We need God to rattle us today. If God does not rattle us, the bones don't come together. And you see, sometimes we get a little bit scared when we start talking about being rattled by God, being shaken up, because it, it's uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good, it, it makes us unsteady. If God were to shake this earth physically right now, I don't think it would be a little tremor. I think it would be a true 10 on the Richter scale of earthquakes of what God was doing. It would be hard to keep your footing. It would be hard to stand up because when God moves, when God shakes things up, it's powerful. I don't think this rattle was, was, was anything quiet. I believe it was a strong, powerful rattle that, that as those bones rattled, Ezekiel was able to feel it in the ground as God was stirring up his people who had been lost and dry for so long. It wasn't something that was quiet. It was something that was shaking and stirring up. And the Bible says that bone came to bone. And the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians that it teaches us that we are the body of Christ and that there are many parts. And they all function as one body. Not everyone can be an eye. Not everyone can be a mouth. Not everyone can be a foot. Not everyone can be a hand. We all have our own unique part. But we have to come together bone to bone. This is what God's saying with this. He's saying unity will precede a revival. When you read Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that we're in the upper room with one accord. And it says, suddenly there came a sound like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And the Bible says that cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them, and they began to speak with other tongues as a spirit gave them the other utterance. And people were amazed that they were all speaking in their own tongues. And the Bible says that they accused these men of being drunk. But Peter stood up under the power of God and said, we are not drunk as you suppose, being it but the third hour of the day. But this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last day I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. I want you to understand today that this outpouring of God's spirit that he wants to send into his church is not just for the young. It's not just for the old. It's not for the past. It's not for the future. It is for right now for all flesh and all generations. 
It is not limited to a demographic, a social status, an economic status. It's not dedicated for that church over there, but not for us. It is for all of God's people. And what he is saying is when you get unified, when, you get, when, you, when bone comes to bone, and, and as I work in you, and I move in you, and I put tendon on you, and I put flesh on you, and I put skin on you, he says, I will begin to send my spirit to you, and you will come alive. God wants to revive us today. He doesn't want us to stay dead and dry. He doesn't want us to, to lay in a grave. God says to Ezekiel, he, he's telling them what these bones are testifying of. And what these bones are saying, what these people are saying, he tells them these, this is the house of Israel. And what they're saying is, as these bones cry out, it says, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. And then God says to him, says, because they're saying this, or therefore, it says, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. This, this is something that God spoke to me late last night. As I'm reading this, I'm like, hold on a second. God had said, read it again. And I read it again. And when he said, I'm going to open up your graves, I, I began to ask myself a question. God said, look back at the beginning. And he says in verse 2, he says, Ezekiel says, he led me all around them, and there were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. But in verse 12, he says, I'm going to open up their graves. Why do you need to open up a grave if the bones are on the surface? I believe it's because they were not stuck in a physical grave. They were stuck in the grave of hopelessness. They were stuck in the grave of being dried up. They were stuck in the grave of being cut off. They were stuck in a spiritual grave. They were stuck in complacency. They were buried in their hopelessness. They were buried, dare I say, in religion. You see... When we start talking about Holy Spirit stuff and, and being Spirit-filled, people get a little bit nervous about some of that. They're like, oh, you mean like swinging from the chandeliers and yelling and rolling on the floor and bobby pins flying everywhere and all that? Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. You see, although the Spirit will manifest in individuals that way, a Spirit-filled church is a church that bears the fruit of the Spirit. A Spirit-filled church walks in the gifts of the Spirit. A Spirit-filled church lives like Jesus lived in the earth. And, and when we look at this, this life of living Spirit-filled, it's not about shouting and yelling and running. Although if God gets a hold of you and you feel like you need to dance in the aisle or you need to do the helicopter spin or the Holy Ghost two-step or line dance, whatever God puts on your heart to do, that's between you and Him. 
But what I'm telling you today is the Spirit of God is not here to give us a shout and a holler and a run and a sprint. He's here to give us holy living and power within his church. Not just power, but life. If we do not have his Spirit, we do not have life. It gets people nervous and in the religion, well, I'm, I'm too prim and proper to worship and lift my hands and, and do things that the Spirit might make me do. Listen, when God gets a hold of you, you don't really have much of a say in what you do. There are times, I'm a pretty quiet and reserved guy, but there have been times where, where God has gotten a hold of me and I took off running and then when I stopped, I didn't even know where I was anymore. There have been times where I have laid out on the ground for hours, not even knowing where I was in the presence of God. There have been times where I have done the Holy Ghost two-step and the helicopter spin and all of those things. And when God got a hold of me, I am a quiet and reserved person. But when God gets a hold of somebody, he takes them out of their comfort zone. He takes them into a new place of their life, a new level of worship, a new level of glory. And they do things and say things like speaking in other tongues that they've never done before. But we get so nervous about that stuff. And even as I begin to talk about it today, I could feel a little bit of tension in the room. Tension of, I don't, I don't know about all that. I could feel it. I could cut it with a knife. And I think it's because for too long, God's church has been buried in a grave of religion and complacency. I don't want people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so they can run the aisles. I don't want people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so they can shout and yell and scream and hoot and holler. I want people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so they can experience all that God has for them. You say, you mean God would do that? In my life, yes, I just read it or quoted it in Acts chapter 2. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. He says, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. It's for all of God's people. You see, we get so, so like nervous about it and, and we think it's so weird but I can't tell you how I could ever live my life without the Holy Spirit in my life. People say, you need the Holy Spirit to get to heaven. I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. I need the Holy Spirit just to, to walk outside sometimes. I need the Holy Spirit just to get in the car and go somewhere. I, I, I don't understand how I could ever live without the Holy Spirit in my life. I, I don't pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so, so I can say, oh, look, somebody else is speaking in tongues now. I, I pray for people to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit so you can gain a new prayer language. As the Bible says, when you don't have the words to pray, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will give you the utterance with words that you don't even understand. There are times in my life where I have not had a clue on what to pray. Didn't even know how to begin a prayer because the situation was so dire. Where I said, Lord, I don't even know how to start. 
And when I begin to pray, the Spirit begin to intercede on my behalf. If I didn't have this prayer language, I don't know where I would be. It's not to make you shout and to run. It's to give life, a spiritual life. God's really been dealing with me. And I'm different on this stuff. Because I, I, I'm all about authenticity. I want the real, authentic thing. And, and I believe that if you want the real, authentic thing, God will give it to you. God's really put this on my heart, that we need a Holy Spirit revival. And I'm not talking the, sh- the shouting and hooting and hollering type of barn-burning service that you would think of. I'm talking just God touching the hearts and lives of his people and moving in them in a way they've never experienced before or a refreshing of a way they used to know. If we're ever going to be effective for God's kingdom, we have to have his breath within us. If we're ever going to live holy, if we're ever going to experience all that God has for us, we've got to have his spirit within us. And like I said, I want the real, authentic thing. I'm telling you, I know this is real. Because I told God when I, I grew up in, a, in an Assembly of God church and in a church that was Pentecostal and, and all of that, but but. Just being young and ignorant, I didn't really fully understand what was going on all the time or really understand if it was something for me or what. I, I, don't, I must have missed something along the way, but there came a point in my time, in my life, where God began to deal with me on the Holy Spirit and needing it in my life. And, and there was teaching after teaching, moment after moment, where God began to move. And I began to pray, and I said, Lord... I said, is this thing real? Because I've personally never, I've seen other people with it, but I've never really experienced it, and and it makes me a little bit, I'll be real with you, I was nervous about it at first. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like that. I don't, I don't know if I like being laid out on the floor, unaware, like, it, it was weird for me at first. But I said, God, I said, Lord, if this is a real thing, if this is truly something that is available for all people, I said, I want it for my life. I want your spirit to fill me up to an overflowing. And I will never forget. I actually prayed that for months before I ever received anything. You see, there's different camps on this, and I think it's unique for each individual. Some people believe you should receive it the moment hands are laid on you and somebody prays over you. I personally believe that, yes, that happens, but sometimes it takes seeking God. 
Because if I want the authentic, I can only imagine that he wants my authenticity as well towards him. He won't give you something that you really don't want, that you aren't really ready for. And so I began to pray, and for for like three months I prayed, Lord, I want this if it's you. I want this if it's you. And I could take you to the exact spot I was standing when it came upon me. Nobody even laid hands on me. There was an evangelist at a a revival service. I'm going to share this with you, and then I'm going to be done. There, there was an evangelist there, and he was preaching on the Holy Spirit. He gave an altar call, and I went up, and I stood, and I said, Lord, I'm asking you again. I want this for my life, and if it's real and if it's of you, give it to me. And as he began to pray over the altar service, he was on his way to pray over me, but he didn't even make it to me. I felt the power of God come upon me in a way I didn't even know was possible. I don't really remember what happened next, but I do remember that when I came back to myself, I was on the ground, soaked in tears, and I was speaking in a language I did not understand. I must have been there a while because there really wasn't anybody left. And there was hundreds of people when we started. I will never forget that. And my life has not been the same since. I, I want to encourage you today. I know I've talked about other things, but, but the most important thing, yes, we can have tendons and mobility, and we can have strength, and God will give you strength. God will give us covering and protection. Those are things he's promised to his church and to his people, and, but he's also promised a breath of life. In verse 14, he says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. It makes me ask this question. If, if it's not until his spirit is in me that there is life, what was I living before? How alive was I really? before his spirit entered my life and he breathed his breath into me. I know God was real and I believed at that point in my life if I would have died, I would have went to heaven. But how alive, how much life was I missing out on up until that point? If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me today.